everybody. This is Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. My guest today is Mario Carrasco. Mario is the co-founder of Think Now, based out of Burbank, California area. Mario, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Today, almost everyone has taken surveys, but did you know that SurveyMonkey offers complete solutions for professional market researchers? In addition to flexible surveys, their global audience panel, and research services, SurveyMonkey just launched a fast and easy way to collect market research feedback with seven new expert solutions for concept and creative testing. With built-in customizable methodology, AI-powered insights, and industry benchmarking, you can get feedback on your idea from your target market in a presentation-ready format. Oh, and by the way, in as little as an hour. For more information on SurveyMonkey's market research solutions, please visit surveymonkey.com slash market-research. That's surveymonkey.com slash market-research. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast comes from FuelCycle. This episode is brought to you by FuelCycle Ignition. Ignition is the agile insights platform that enables leaders and their teams to improve product, brand, customer, and employee experiences with no insights experience required. With FC Live virtual focus groups and interviews, an ad effectiveness solution, and survey automation capabilities, FuelCycle Ignition offers the only all-in-one Agile Insights ecosystem for supercharging the relationship between brands and their customers and serves the world's most innovative brands, including Google, Hulu, Tufts Health Plan, Kahart, and more. To learn how Ignition can take your research to the next level, visit FuelCycle.com. So how long have you been in the industry? So the industry, I've been saying, I feel like 10 years for 10 years, so a little bit over... A little bit over 10 years now. Oh no, now see I'm wrong again. <laughs> think now has been around. Think now has been around for like nine years now. And I was in the industry about four or five years before that. That's awesome, man. I mean, you've made it it's I think you've been around. <laughs> if it's any indication, everybody I know, which is probably self actually is hundred percent self-selecting, but makes it after a couple of years, it feels like we're a lifer. So <laughs> I think you know. I think I'm a lifer, yeah. Yeah, me too. I can't imagine a different industry, to be quite honest. And I, and I, I have actually imagined it, but it hasn't never found any legs. All right. Well, I, let's start out with providing us all a bit of context about you. Tell us about your parents and how they informed what you do today. So my family, all my grandparents are uh, same part from the same state in Mexico. I have kind of an interesting generational background. My father is uh, was born in Mexico, came around age 19, and my mom was born here in Hollywood, L.A., so they actually met. My mom was on vacation with her grandparents, and that's how my parents met. So I have one immigrant parent and one parent that was born here. So I'd like to think I got best of both worlds and that I got work ethic from my dad, kind of that American dream, do the work that's really kind of led to my, my entrepreneurial spirit. And then my mom growing up, she was a school teacher. So, you know, she was like, yeah, the working hard is all good, but you got to work smart as well. So 
summer schools at home, really drilling into me the importance of education. So, you know, in terms of what field they inspired me to go into, early on, I actually, right out of grad school, I was a teacher for a very short amount of time. I was a high school English teacher. So my mom inspired me. And from that perspective, but I was a I was a terrible teacher, so that's why I'm in market research. Um, <laughs> it's like the opposite, right? So they always say teachers are the people that couldn't make it in. in right, you're right, right. You went the other way. Yeah, I went the other way because I mean, and really, market research is the total opposite, right? We get to work. I mean, when you're when you're on the on the vendor side, you get to work with so many different types of projects different types of companies. I'm learning something new every day. And teaching is great. You know, my mom's a teacher. I totally respect that profession, but I couldn't, I can wrap my head around teaching the same textbook for the rest of my life. So, so yeah, my parents were a big influence, both from a work ethic perspective and the importance of education. It's funny how our parents or your parents, as, you, as I was listening to you talk, I was connecting, which is why I said our, but, uh, because we had a you're my, long, you're my long lost brother yeah I, we might be quite honestly so <laughs> like you know my my parents are very much into work hard and it all works out right sort of sort of thing and i think that's absolutely true uh kind of the adage the longer the harder you work at something the luckier you get but you know at the same time i've seen instances where like you know my family literally lost with us i grew up on a small family operated 40 acre grapes to raisins farm and you know we wound up buying that and then ultimately lost that farm because the price of raisins dropped down to a quarter of what their prior years was. And after about what, three years of that, you know, they just couldn't afford the bank debt anymore. So, you know, it definitely kind of like didn't play off there. What is some of the learning that you had from your early days and then, you know, to then parlay that and start think now? Wow. That's a really good question. So my dad was lucky. So my dad's in the film industry and he came here he did some college back in Mexico in engineering, and he actually got into the whole post-production of film. So like, I mean, actually, I don't know specifically what he does, but like what are the chemicals for actual like film film, right? And so, and as you know, things are transitioning to digital, but he's been able to kind of teach himself like 65 millimeter IMAX and have a career in film where very few people now that deal with film have a career. So I think one of the things I've learned is kind of to make yourself indispensable. That's something that my dad always taught me, you know, just to always be learning, right? Always be learning. And so he wants to be the last guy standing in film and it's, it's 2020 and he's still working in old school film, which I think is pretty amazing. I think that's a really important lesson for us in market research, right? Like how long, how many years now have people been saying that market research is going to go away and, and maybe in some senses, those people are, are right when you start to think about traditional methodologies, but there's still some really great companies. I'm sure that they've been on your podcast that are doing old school phone research, right? But it's just a matter of, of doing it well and, and, and showing up. I think we're moving, ironically, we've, if you think about the adoption of the digital respondent or participant in research, you know, it's, we've over-indexed on digital feedback. And now what I'm seeing is um, an augment of traditional vetting approaches, such as phone pre-screens again, right? Yeah. And even video pre-screens, or we call them auditions. Or even the resurgence of 
focus groups, right? Totally. Like getting back and, and talking to people again. Like totally. You know, like we we know so much now from a digital perspective, what you're doing on your phone, what you're watching, who you're talking to, but you don't you don't know why. You know, why why are people streaming? Like that that's something that you're never gonna get from passive data collection or even survey data collection. So getting people back into focus groups, I think, I mean, we in our business, we've seen a resurgence of that. Now give us a little bit of context. Tell us about Think Now. Yeah, so Think Now, we started 2011. My co-founder and I were actually at a very similar company called Garcia Research. Uh, they were being purchased by Knowledge Networks and eventually GFK. And at the time, we realized that there was still an opportunity to have a company wholly focused on multicultural consumers. And so when we started in 2011, we saw a niche, an opening for a company 100% dedicated to multicultural consumers that, that we define as Hispanic, African-American, and Asians in the U.S. Um, but with a slight difference from the previous company in that we wanted to utilize all these emerging technologies at the time, like online, online sample, mobile, mobile ethnographies, mobile qual, online qual that were being used in the general market, but weren't really being applied to these multicultural audiences because there was the perception that Hispanics don't have the internet. You know, it's difficult to recruit African-American respondents online. Whatever those barriers were in the minds of the buyers, right? The buyers being the consumer insights people at Fortune 1000 companies. So, um, we realized, we looked and the data said, you know, actually, the, in fact, the opposite's true. Hispanics are online in more numbers and higher numbers in the general market, right? African-Americans are using technology more so than the general market. And so uh, we wanted to have a company that's wholly focused on multicultural consumers because we knew from a demographic perspective that that's where the country was headed. Um, and so we wanted to help companies understand these consumers. So when they're creating marketing campaigns to do their research before putting out marketing, <laughs> we've seen a lot of, we still see a lot of faux pas out there from a marketing perspective. And then also there's a whole other side of our business that's helping companies launch brands that are entirely focused on these consumers. So Hispanic brands, African-American brands, and Asian brands. Um, so that's our company in a nutshell. We we help Fortune 1000 companies tap into the opinions of, of multicultural consumers. Now you're doing, uh, is it both qual and quant? It's both qual and quant. We have a quant focus just because our team is really quant heavy, but um, we've actually been building our, our, our qual practice. We hired a moderator, Janet Torres, a couple of years ago. She was at uh, GFK, so she's, um, she's our in-house qual and We've been doing a lot more qual now, which, which is interesting for me because my background is sample, panel building, quant, and I was actually anti-qual when we first started thinking now. <laughs> but being a part of focus groups- We forgive groups, you. Yeah, no, I mean, being a part of focus groups and watching them, it's like, wow, this is, this is really powerful and important stuff when you, when you get back and, and talk to the consumer. I was illustrating this yesterday to a uh, friend of mine, the difference between qual and quant, and he wasn't quite getting it. He's like, well, why would I spend the time talking to somebody when I can just ask the survey? And I said, well, let's look at your website. Let's say we want to do a survey on your, you know, get people's opinions about their experience on your website. He goes, okay, great. So we crafted three questions or whatever, and in a typical survey framework, and then with an open end. 
And I go, okay, good. Now let's just do a one-on-one interview of talking about your your website. And he goes, great. So I brought in one of our employees and I had him go through the website and we found on the very first page, front page, we found his two contact us links were broken. And right, and so you would have never found that inside of a inside of a survey. <laughs> and he literally turned completely white and we yeah. stopped the meeting and he ran up to his <laughs> and I'm like, there you go. That's the difference. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and and that and and actually, the broken link is such a perfect metaphor, right? Because brands don't realize what's broken in their marketing. If you show show somebody an ad and ask them the standard copy test measures, you might not pick up on on something that's rubbing someone the wrong way, like you would on a conversation. Hundred percent. I mean, I could. This is. This is the most important thing that, you know, when you're thinking about the blend and the reason why, and is the juice worth the squeeze? Sorry about, sorry about the uh, colloquialism, but, you know, you've got this, it's a lot of effort to add qualitative, even if it's just a handful of interviews or one focus group, it's a pain and expensive, but, you know, if it's an important piece of research, you sure, I mean, I just can't underscore the importance uh, of, enough of incorporating qualitative into the uh, uh, overarching study design. Yeah. I 100% agree. So diversity, what do you see as the role of diversity in research? Yeah, this, you know, diversity, I was thinking about this before the call. I mean, I think right now, when people think of diversity, you think of the composition of teams, right? And that's definitely important. But when we look at, when we look at research, I think there's multiple ways to look at it, right? We have the sample looking at the diversity of the sample. So whether it's quant or whether it's qual, making sure it's representative of your consumers, right? Um, and as we start to look in the US, and I'm, I'm talking about US market, as we start to look in the US, it's becoming an increasingly diverse nation. And so depending on some DMAs like LA, like Fresno, New York City, right? Non-Hispanic whites are becoming the minority. And that's really the trend across the country. And I was actually running the numbers, the most recent census. I think it's June 2018. Um, I want to see, you know, what are, what are the most recent numbers that the census has? And I think the biggest shift that a lot of market researchers that I talk to that they don't realize is that as you start to go down in generation, it's more and more diverse. So like this is from the most recent census for population that's under five years old. So five and under, it's the first generation that's going to be majority minority. Whites comprise 49% and non-whites are going to be 51%. So from that perspective, the sample who you're talking to, I mean, I think diversity is is everything, right? And um, from Think Now, I mean, that's really in our name. You know, we, we the way that we came up with the name, it's like, don't, don't think about the future. This is something that's happening now. Think now. You know, we, you got to incorporate diversity into your sample to not only future-proof yourself and your brand, but also talk to what's happening now. Um, and then on the other side of that is the diversity of the team. When you're putting together questionnaires, you know, talking about broken links and broken links from a creative perspective, Having somebody with that diverse perspective on your team is so important when you're putting together a questionnaire because things like colloquialisms, right, that we use or talking about here on the podcast, 
that might be second nature to us, putting that in a questionnaire, you never know what the cultural implications are. And you might be skewing your data on the front end when you're developing that questionnaire um, or moderating a focused group. Um, so I think diversity in a team is, is equally as important. So unpack that a little bit more for me, especially as it's as a career market researcher, I've always been very attentive to sample frames. That is the definition of who it is we want to talk to. Uh, of course, demographics are a big part of that process. But when you when you pull back um, and you actually think about the designers of the research, right, the the researchers themselves and that and the team, what do you see as best practices? for commissioners of research? What should they be looking for in that team composition? Let me give you an example of when I'm talking about questionnaire development, and we'll see if we can get to an answer because that, that, that's, a, that's a tough answer. But I'll, I'll give you an example of something we use in the market research world all the time that actually when you have other groups, specifically Hispanics in the U.S., take your surveys, you're going to have skewed results. And that's um, choice ranking, right? So like one thing that we do here, one thing that we've noticed in our responses, and this is something we've noticed before we started Think Now, but you have companies that will do a tracker and they have the same metrics that they've been using for years and they don't want to change it because they want to be able to look at the results longitudinally. And so but then, you know, 10 years into the tracker, they wanted to introduce an augment of Hispanics, U.S. Hispanics. And typically want to translate it into Spanish because they know that a large portion of Hispanics in the U.S. speak Spanish. So they want to make that available in Spanish so that they have a representative sample of U.S. Hispanics. And so they don't change any of their rankings and they realize that their results are, they're doing great among Hispanics, even though they haven't really invested real marketing dollars. And one phenomenon that we've seen is that Hispanics tend to be overly positive in survey results. And so one way that one thing that we've done to mitigate that is to do kind of branched forced choice ranking, right? So where we, uh, we do the traditional five point scale, allow the respondent to you know, choose their pot, their higher end, right? Top two, top three box. And then once they finish that question, we'll do a follow-up, okay, to, to create some more discrimination. It's like, okay, you said that you like that, you know, a lot. I mean, how much, right? And then create a little bit more discrimination in the results so that it's not just all overly positive. That's kind of an example in a nutshell of things that if you weren't aware of, Hispanic positivity bias, you might not be looking at that. And it's, you know, you're giving your client false positives, right? Thinking that they're doing great among Hispanics when in reality, they're just picking up kind of this phenomenon that actually so, social scientists stumbled upon called Hispanic positivity bias. And so, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you can do in a composition of a team for that scenario, right? I think Having somebody that's just aware of multicultural research, if Hispanic is a big part of your practice, having someone that's that's aware of kind of the cultural nuances that go into to researching that population. 
Okay, so I'm going to tell you right now, I've never heard of that. I'm so glad we're having this conversation just because <laughs> I love learning. <laughs> just, I, I've only been doing it 23 years, so forgive me. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to say the least. Maybe that's kind of the point though, right? Is that's, that That's exactly the point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So huh, that's so interesting. And I'm sure that exists, of course, across other, not just ethnicity, but even even getting into the complexities of gender. Of gender, of generation. Generation, right? right. Totally. Yeah. Now that I can speak to the generational piece, which I find very interesting as I'm kind of moving now into, I'm, I'm knocking on the door of 50 years old, which I'm not afraid of. I mean, it just kind of is, is what it is, but, but there is definitely a notable difference between, so kind of our age ranges here. I'm obviously, I'm the oldest. I say, obviously you don't know that, but, and like nobody could be older than, than 49, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel that way sometimes. Uh, and then we've got a 24 year old and a 31 year old and then a 45 year old. So, you know, you've got this, like this, we're all learning from each other as it relates to the age deltas or segments categories, right? And when I think one of the things I really appreciate about that, about my team is in that diversity, there's a tremendous amount of respect. So you don't see any like, oh, they're Gen Z or, oh my gosh, they're so entitled or whatever. It's like complete respect across the spectrum of, you know, uh, who on the team is, is interacting. And, you know, to that end, I have adopted- unless it's, a, unless it's a boomer and a millennial, right? <laughs> no, I mean, so I've adopted <laughs> dabbing as kind of our go the go-to way of celebrating, which has oh, okay. now yeah. been now been categorized as dad dabbing. Yeah, <laughs> is, one, once, one, once dads do it, it's officially dead. <laughs> totally dead. I've completely killed dabbing. They, everybody does it anyway, but just to humor me, I think at this point. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. All right, so... Um, kind of wrapping things up a little bit, what is your personal motto? My personal motto? Yeah. I had that question before on the podcast and I was thinking about it and I didn't look up who said it. Maybe, you know, you're, you're wise, 49 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, half the battle is showing up, you know, I, and that's my personal motto. And maybe you empathize as an entrepreneur, you know, we're, we, we can't call in sick even if you're having a bad day, but I, I've, uh, and I'm big into like fitness, working out in the morning, you know, no matter how I feel, I just, I just show up. And I realized that that's kind of driven me through this, this entrepreneurial journey the past 10 years. And so I would say that's my motto, just showing up. Mario Carrasco, think now, check him out. Mario, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, how would they do that? I'm on LinkedIn, Mario Carrasco, think now, also on Twitter, at Mario X Carrasco. And you can also shoot me an email, Mario at thinknow.com. Perfect. I'm following you on Twitter. If you found value in this episode, please, please, please take time, screen capture, share it on social media platform of your choice. Ideally, it's LinkedIn or Twitter. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and I really appreciate you tuning in. Mario, thanks very much. Great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. 